Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18. There's a series of movies in recent years that center around attacks on major cities. Uh, Olympus has fallen, was about Washington, D.C. London has fallen. There's one about the presidency. Angel has fallen. Well, this morning, it's Babylon has fallen. And the city that has fallen is actually not Babylon, it's Jerusalem. John calls Jerusalem Babylon, and we're seeing the announcement in this text that the city has fallen. And in a way, this passage is a eulogy for Jerusalem, but not a good one. Not one that praises the deceased. This one will explain why Jerusalem was judged and what the result of that judgment is. And this morning, we're going to read all of chapter 18 and the first five verses of chapter 19 as well. So follow along as I read, starting in Revelation 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas! Alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth 
has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him small and great. Well, as we walk through the text this morning, We'll look at it in four parts and then we'll put it all together kind of at the end and see what it's teaching us and how it applies to our lives. The first of the four sections that we will see is verses one through eight, where we have an announcement by an angel. So the angel comes down from heaven and announces that Babylon the great has fallen. Now in the Old Testament, Babylon was the great enemy of God and his people, but now it is Jerusalem that has become Babylon, the great enemy of God. Jerusalem has become like Babylon. And there's lots of ways to see that. And we've seen it all throughout the book. But if you want one thing just particularly in this text, you could look back at verse 24 of chapter 18. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints. Well, what city is it? that was known for killing the prophets and the saints. It's the city of Jerusalem. Jesus accused them specifically of that. So this is clearly speaking about Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has become a place of uncleanness. Jerusalem has become a dwelling place for demons. Listen to what Jesus had said in Israel. He said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Now, 
this is a little, a little parable that Jesus is talking about what he was doing while he was there in Israel. He was going throughout the land of Israel and he's casting out demons. He's cleaning the place up. But then what happens? Well, then the demon comes back. It goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. So Jesus was casting out demons. He's cleaning things up. But then Jesus ascends into heaven. And the demon comes back. Well, like For instance, one of the ones that he cast out. And looks around and says, hey, this place is empty. This is ripe for the picking. And he goes and gets a whole bunch of his friends and they all come back. And we saw that earlier in the book of Revelation, the invasion of hordes of demons into Jerusalem. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen with this evil generation, Jesus says. So John's describing exactly what Jesus said would happen. Babylon, Jerusalem, has persisted in her unfaithfulness and rebellion against God. Then in verses 4 and 5, another voice from heaven calls out, this time calling to the church. The voice calls the church to come out of her. In other words, come out of Babylon, come out of Jerusalem. And the reason is so that you don't partake in her sins and the judgment that is coming on her for that sin. And this happened literally. The church left the city of Jerusalem just before the destruction that fell in A.D. 70. They fled mainly to a city named Pella. And the reason that they did this was because Jesus warned them to. Here's what Jesus had said. See, so when you see the abomination of desolation, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house, and let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. We talked about this back during our series in Matthew 24. Jesus warned the followers that when the judgment was about to fall, they should flee Jerusalem and Judea. And notice, it's clearly a local judgment. This is not some worldwide judgment because you can escape this by fleeing to the mountains on foot. Jesus says you'll find safety there. So that's what the Christians did. And John says, come out of her. Come out of Jerusalem. It happened physically, literally, but it also has spiritual significance here. Leave Jerusalem behind. Leave behind the temple. Leave behind the sacrificial system and all that goes with it. Why? Because all of that has been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate temple. So leave Jerusalem behind. Leave the temple behind. Come out of her. And then verses 6 through 8 give the justification for Jerusalem's judgment. We saw this in detail last week. Just note here, God is paying her back. This is justice. She's arrogant. She says she's a queen. She says that she will not mourn, but God says otherwise. The judgment will come swiftly. So the plagues come in a single day. She will be judged like Egypt. Plagues. She'll be burned up with fire. She'll be judged like Sodom and Gomorrah that were burned up with fire. The second section of the text this morning runs from verse 9 down through verse 20. And this section describes the mourning of three different groups 
when they see the judgment of Jerusalem. And then there's a group that rejoices. Now, the first group that mourns when Jerusalem is judged is the high priestly aristocracy of Jerusalem. In John's text, they're called the kings of the earth. They lived in luxury because of Jerusalem's temple system. They used the system to gain wealth. It wasn't about worship. It was about wealth and control. And now all of that is going up in smoke. Have you ever seen a group of kids that get in trouble for something? And there's a couple of kids that kind of start edging away from the group, kind of trying to separate themselves, trying to drift off to the side so it looks like they're not part of the group. Well, here the text says that these guys stand far off in fear of the torment. They're trying to separate themselves, but they won't escape God's judgment. The Roman historian Tacitus recorded that Jerusalem is the capital of the Jews and in it was a temple possessing enormous riches. Jerusalem was known for its wealth and that wealth was centered on the temple and the temple system. Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived through the siege of Jerusalem writes that the Romans burnt down the treasury chambers, this is when they burned down the temple, in which was an immense quantity of money and an immense number of garments and other precious goods there reposited. And to speak in all, all in a few words, there it was that the entire riches of the Jews were heaped up together while the rich people had there built themselves chambers to contain such furniture. So the priests and their families who had used and abused the temple system to gain great wealth for themselves, now they watch it all go up in smoke. The second group that mourns when Jerusalem is judged is the merchants. God had blessed Israel greatly, but these merchants had taken the blessing of God and selfishly hoarded it for themselves. And now when Jerusalem is judged, there's no one left to buy their cargo. They will lose everything. And the cargo here is primarily things that are associated with the commerce that happens in the temple and its surroundings. Take a look at the list of cargo. It starts in verse 12 of chapter 18. Okay? And note that all of these things are associated with the temple business. Gold, silver, jewels, pearls, all of that is used in the temple implements and furniture and the dressing of the priest. Fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. Those are the materials used for the veil and for other parts of the temple. Scented wood, ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, valuable construction materials that were all used in the temple. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense. These are things that are used in the incense offerings. Wine, oil, fine flour, and wheat. These are things that were used for the grain offerings and the drink offerings. Cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, animals that are associated with sacrifices, as well as things that the kings like Solomon had accumulated for themselves here in the city of Jerusalem. But then there's one more item on their list of cargo. The end of verse 13. Slaves, that is, human souls. Ultimately, this is what the merchants are trafficking in. Human souls. 
The language comes from Ezekiel 27. It's describing the slave trade of the city of Tyre, which was about to face God's judgment. And in Jerusalem, the temple system is leading people astray. Why? Because they've rejected Jesus. So just as they had rejected the prophets that God had sent to them through the years, now they've rejected God's son himself. And the cost is human souls. Paul writes to the Galatians and he draws out the contrast here. He says there's the earthly Jerusalem and the temple system having rejected Christ. That's enslaving people in spiritual bondage. But the heavenly Jerusalem, which we are soon going to see here in the book of Revelation, is the source of true freedom. And Paul uses the two women with whom Abraham had sons as representatives for his illustration, Hagar and Sarah. So he writes this, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. As the church, the Jerusalem above is where we are from. So the church, the true people of God, are truly free in Christ. The Jews who remain in the temple system, which has rejected Christ, are in spiritual bondage and slavery. And John paints the picture by describing merchants of Jerusalem trafficking in human souls. Well, the final group that mourns over Jerusalem is the shipmasters and the seafaring men and the sailors. And they too had gained their wealth by the temple system at the expense of the people. Now remember that the sea in Revelation usually symbolizes what? The nations, the Gentiles. And the woman Babylon, Jerusalem, we saw last week is seated on the waters which are the peoples and nations. That's what the angel explains to us. So the sailors and captains probably represent the other nations that have profited by business with Jerusalem. Wealth gained on the backs of the Jewish people through the riches of the temple system. And if you think, well, I don't know, was Jerusalem really like known as a wealthy city like all throughout the empire? Well, the Roman general Titus Remember, Titus is the one who leads the siege of Jerusalem, okay? In something that Titus wrote, he describes Jerusalem as a second Carthage. Carthage is a city here in northern Africa. Rome is up here. Jerusalem would be over this direction. So Carthage lay across the Mediterranean Sea from Rome. And Carthage was the perennial competitor of ancient Rome. It was a great economic center. It had this famous protected harbor. So it did a lot of sea trading. It was the home of Hannibal Barca, the legendary general who marched elephants through the Alps to attack Rome. Carthage was the main rival to Rome. 
And Titus compares Jerusalem to Carthage economically because it's a rival source of wealth in the empire. So the nations mourn at the loss of wealth because of the destruction of Jerusalem. But then there's one more group, and this group does not mourn. This group is called instead to rejoice. They rejoice at the judgment of Jerusalem. And this group is saints and apostles and prophets. They're the ones who have been killed or persecuted for their faithfulness to God. The prophets were persecuted and killed when they brought God's message to Jerusalem. The apostles ministered in Jerusalem and they too were persecuted and killed. And many of the saints also lost their lives as martyrs for the faithful, to the faithfulness to God. And they're all now called to rejoice because God has acted on their behalf. He has finally judged Jerusalem. He's given them justice. Remember that the souls of the martyrs were under the altar crying out for God to avenge them. Well, their blood has now been avenged as God's righteous sentence is executed against Jerusalem. Then in verses 21 to 24, we have a second announcement of judgment. This angel picks up a millstone and throws it into the sea as a demonstration of how Babylon, Jerusalem, will be judged. A millstone is huge and heavy. It's going to sink to the bottom and it's going to stay there. It's a way of showing that this judgment against Jerusalem is complete and total and final. You might remember what Jesus said about leading children astray. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's a picture of severe judgment. Well, this is exactly what Jerusalem has done. She has led her own children astray through leading them to reject Jesus. And Jerusalem will be judged, never to rise again. Now, of course, we can look at a map and realize that the city of Jerusalem still exists today. So how can we say this? Well, what this judgment is talking about is the central role that Jerusalem plays in the Old Covenant. It's the center of the world in terms of how God has designed the world in the Old Covenant. But all of that, the Old Covenant and Jerusalem's role in it, is being done away with. It's coming to a final end. Verses 22 and 23 then describe the results of the judgment on Jerusalem. No more music, no more craftsmen, no more agricultural production. No more joy. All the production of a culture that's blessed by God is gone. And why? Verse 24, as we've seen before, Jerusalem was responsible for the blood of prophets and saints. And in AD 30, also the blood of the Lord Jesus himself. Well, the fourth and final section of the text this morning is the first five verses of chapter 19. And here we have rejoicing in heaven at the judgment of Jerusalem. And one word that's repeated in this section is the word hallelujah. 
Hallelujah means praise Yahweh. So the point is that the judgment of Jerusalem results in the praise of God. So why does judgment result in God's praise? Let me point out three things here in these verses that will help us to understand. First, look at the language of verse 3. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. That's the language of the whole burnt offering. A whole burnt offering was an offering that was completely and totally given to God. So the whole thing's burnt up and it just goes up in smoke. And that smoke is then a sweet smelling uh, scent in God's nostrils, we're told, because the whole thing is completely devoted to him. Now that could be an animal that's a whole burnt offering. So the animal's put on the altar and the whole thing is burnt up. It all goes up in smoke. There's nothing left. Completely given to God. And it symbolizes a life that's completely given to God. But animals weren't the only things that could be a whole burnt offering. A city could also be a whole burnt offering. If it's a city that's facing God's judgment and the whole thing is destroyed and burnt up because it's dedicated to God, that's a whole burnt offering. Listen to the instructions that God gave to Israel. I'm reading to you now from Deuteronomy 13. Okay, so this is before Israel goes into the promised land. Here's instructions that they're given. If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction. All who are in it, and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather its spoil, all its spoil, into the midst of its open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. And that description of a city full of abominations is now a description that fits Jerusalem. So Jerusalem will be devoted to destruction. Jerusalem will be a whole burnt offering offered to the Lord. And this whole burnt offering will be pleasing in God's sight because it magnifies his holiness. So there will be praise in heaven at the destruction of Jerusalem. A second reason that there will be hallelujahs at the destruction of Jerusalem is found in verse 2. God's judgments are true and just. Through this whole book of Revelation, Jesus has presented his legal case that Jerusalem has been an unfaithful bride. And the righteous verdict is divorce. Her spiritual adultery has earned her a stoning and so there's hailstones. Her abominations and worship of false gods have earned her destruction as a whole burnt offering. 
and she will now go up in smoke. So God's judgments are true and just. When the judgment falls on Jerusalem, God will be praised because his justice and righteousness are evident. God's judgments are true and just. And the third reason that God's judgment of Jerusalem results in hallelujahs in heaven is that his servants, those who escape the judgment but witness what happens to Jerusalem, will fear him. For anyone with eyes to see, God's judgment of Jerusalem should cause us to fear and reverence him, to worship him, to praise him. This God is holy. This God will not tolerate wickedness forever. This God will establish justice and righteousness. So praise him, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. As the author of Hebrews says, let us offer to God acceptable worship, for our God is a consuming fire. The main point this morning, the doctrine that I want you to see out of this text is very simple and basic. And here it is. God will judge the wicked. God will judge the wicked. This passage is all about the judgment of Jerusalem. What that judgment looks like, what the results are, why the judgment comes, what the judgment says about God, what the response to the judgment is from those who are judged, what the response to the judgment is from those who are in heaven. But the basic idea at the bottom of it all is that God will judge the wicked. So what does that mean for us today? I mean, this was about the judgment of Jerusalem, and it happened in A.D. 70. We're living a couple thousand years later. Well, it tells us that God doesn't tolerate wickedness. And so the wickedness that's all around us today will be judged. And there's three specific ways that I think this doctrine is helpful to us. Let me give them to you. Number one, choose your city wisely. Do you belong to the earthly Jerusalem or do you belong to the heavenly Jerusalem? Do you belong to this world or is your citizenship in heaven? See, those who belong to this world will face a judgment worse than what the city of Jerusalem faced in AD 70. God says that the judgment of the wicked will be eternal. It will be separation from God and from all of his blessings. It'll be torment. So choose wisely today. St. Augustine wrote, There is a city of God, and its founder has inspired us with a love which makes us covet its citizenship. To this founder of the holy city, the citizens of the earthly city prefer their own gods, not knowing that he is the God of gods. And so the question is, what city do you love? Where do you belong? John would call us to come out of the earthly city of Jerusalem and to join the heavenly Jerusalem. How do you do that? Well, we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem by faith in Christ, submitting to him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and trusting that his sacrifice on the cross in our place does exactly what he says. It pays the penalty of our sins and that he gives us his righteousness so that God sees us as dressed in the holiness of Christ 
Which city do you belong to? A second use of this doctrine this morning that God will judge the wicked is that we can trust his promises. God has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He's told us that there will be justice in the end. So when we long for justice, just like the souls of the martyrs that were under the altar, we can know that God will judge the wicked. Jesus had said just this about Jerusalem when he prophesied Jerusalem's destruction in 70 AD, right in the middle of the warning that he gave to flee the city when the judgment falls, Jesus said this, this is from Luke chapter 21. These are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Days of vengeance. It is God taking vengeance on the wicked. One person in the Bible who recounted his own personal struggle with believing that God would do this is Asaph. He tells us about it in Psalm 73. He writes, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on about how the wicked seem to have everything they need and they're always at ease and they increase in riches even though they don't honor God. And so Asaph says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. What good is it to follow God when I suffer and those who don't follow God are successful? What's the point? Can you relate to what Asaph says? But then he says this. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. By the way, this is one of the reasons that it's crucial for Christians to gather weekly for worship. Just like Asaph, when he went into the sanctuary, had his thinking corrected, brought back into alignment, that happens for us as we worship and as we hear the word of God. And once Asaph put life in eternal perspective, then it made sense. Once he saw that the end of the wicked is judgment, then his present life began to be clear. See, there's a day coming when the divine scales will be balanced. There will be a day when all that is wrong will be set right. Jerusalem's day of accounting came in AD 70. God's patience will not last forever and justice will be served. Joel Beakey recounts the story of an American farmer who wrote to the editor of his local newspaper who was a Christian. He said, and the, 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 the person wrote in these words, in defiance of your God, I plowed my fields this year on Sunday. I disked and fertilized them on Sunday. I planted them on a Sunday. I cultivated them on a Sunday and I reaped them on Sunday. This October, I had the biggest crop I have ever had. How do you explain that? The man was defiant, arrogant, and godless. The editor published the letter. 
but with this footnote. God does not always settle all his accounts in October. Trust God's promises. God will judge the wicked. And then third, rejoice in God's judgment of the wicked. Near the end of chapter 18, we saw that the prophets and the saints and the apostles all praise God for his judgment of Jerusalem. Then in verse 5 of chapter 19, a voice from the throne commands, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. There's no room for debate here. All of God's servants are commanded to praise him for this judgment of the wicked. Now, in our culture today, we're not really comfortable with this idea that we would rejoice at the downfall of a particular city or people. Because we think that Christianity is defined by being nice. But that's not biblical Christianity. And here, we are all to rejoice at God's judgment of the wicked. God's judgment displays his justice and his righteousness and his holiness. It sets to rights things that have gone wrong. It brings glory to God. And so, for the sake of Christ and the glory of God, we rejoice when God judges the wicked. Now, maybe it bothers you that for the last couple of months, as we've been going through this part of the book of Revelation, almost everything we've been singing celebrates the judgment of the wicked. Songs that are characterized by celebrating God's judgment. Well, if that's the case, if that bothers you, you need to take to heart the command here from the throne of heaven itself to praise God because God will judge the wicked. God will judge the wicked. The judgment of the harlot Babylon, the great city of Jerusalem, is a foretaste of the day of the return of Christ when all the wicked, small and great, will be judged eternally. Our God is holy and just and righteous. So we trust that he will set all things to rights. And we rejoice in that judgment because it brings him glory. Let's pray. Our Father, as we consider these words from Revelation 18 and 19, we see this downfall of Jerusalem and the impact that it has on all of those who depended on the city and had bought into the worldview of the city and had gone along with the rejection of Christ. And at the same time, we see the rejoicing in heaven, the rejoicing of God's people and the heavenly creatures because this judgment displays your good and righteous and holy character. Cause us to be people who think like you, who value what you value. May we be people who choose our city wisely, that we hold on loosely to this world, we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven, that we would trust your word when you say that you will set all things to rights. And that you would give us the ability to rejoice with you in the judgment of the wicked because it displays your great glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.